Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. Stay tuned for today's message. Enjoy, and God bless. And the first few chapters, Paul addresses two key 
In chapter 1, Paul uses, Paul explains to us the mystery of God's will. The mystery is this. Since the beginning of this world, it has been God's plan for both Jews and Gentiles and everything under heaven and in earth to be unified in Christ Jesus. The reason why we needed to be unified is found in chapter 2. All people, both Jew and Gentile, even though we may be physically alive, every one of us at one point in life were spiritually dead. At one point, we only operated with one motive, to gratify our own desires at all times. This produced death of all kinds, lying, sexual immorality, greed, and fulfilling our own desires at the expense of others. This death separated us from a relationship with God. But now because of Jesus, the law has been abolished through the cross. We can um, be forgiven of our sins, and we can be reconnected to the one true and living God. Then, at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul, what we're doing, he has he recaps that mystery. So he at the beginning, he recaps this is what God is doing. And then true, in true climactic fashion, it was it's like he's going up a roller coaster, going up a roller coaster. And finally, in verse 10, he explains why all this was even necessary. Paul explains that the purpose of the mystery was this. It says in verse 10, to the extent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. That the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the principalities and to the powers in high places. That the manifold wisdom of God may be known to the people, to the principalities and powers in high places. That the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to animals? No. The manifold wisdom of God may be made known to spiritual beings, to principalities and powers in high places. God unified us so that spiritual authorities could see his manifold wisdom. Principalities and powers are either spiritual forces um, who align with God, such as angels, um, or they can be hostile spiritual forces that are opposed to God. We as believers are put on display all day, every day, all day, every day, as an example of the all-surpassing knowledge of God. So I hate to inform you, not really, it's good that you know, uh, that if you are a born-again believer of God, Now, in light of this reality, I have a few questions to ask you. Do you live your life like your choices matter? Do you live your life like you are a representation of something bigger than yourself? Do you have behaviors that are both impactful and intentional? Or do you just go through the motions every single day? Are you latched with your time and with your relationships? Do you live as if your choices don't affect anyone besides yourself? Well, if you're a disciple and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a part of an amazing display. You are a 
tapestry of heaven, a material that garners the attention of both spiritual forces. Our lives are put on display all day, every day, for the world to see. We are to live a life on display, and we should run with this reality. Instead of living C-plus lives just trying to get by, we should strive for excellence in everything that we do. Both natural and spiritual eyes are on us. They're looking at us and watching to see what we do. And this shouldn't be used to create unnecessary pressure. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to scare you into saying that somebody's always watching. But it should inspire you to take your choices more seriously. Amen? So now I'm sure you're wondering... If our lives are put on display, then how should I live my life? Or does my life look like one that I want to be put on display? Or does it look like a mess? Well, God is a master planner. And he knew that you'd be wondering that question right now. And he already had a plan in place. In this same chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, Paul does a, Paul does a wonderful job of showing us how to live a life on display. In the first 13 verses, there are three uh, distinct ways that we can see um, how we should live this life on display. So let's take a moment to look at these taxes. Uh, in Ephesians, we'll go to Ephesians 1. So we'll start in the very first verse. He gives us a glimpse into it. So Ephesians 1. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, that's it, oh, that's it. And just leave that for you Gentiles. Uh, Paul lets us know that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul shows us that one way to live our life on display is to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Everyone say prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul was writing, Paul writing that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ in my opinion, was a double entendre. And a double entendre is simply a literary device that can be defined as a phrase or a figure of speech that might have multiple uh, senses, multiple interpretations, or two different meanings. So check out this statement right here. This statement. A new weight loss study requires a larger sample group. You see? A new weight loss study requires a larger sample group. So am I saying that it requires larger people or a larger group of people? It's hard to tell. Hard to tell. Well, when Paul says that he's a prisoner of Jesus, he says this because he wrote it from jail. He was literally in jail because he lived a life for Jesus. So when he writes this, it has a very literal meaning. But I think Paul had an additional intention with this phrase. As a prisoner, you have no rights. You're limited on the say-so that you have. Um, and someone else determines the dealings of your day, where you go, what you do, um, all the different relationships. Somebody else is determining all of that. Who you associate with is even determined by the prison guards and prison leaders. They determine who you're bunking with that night. So as a, I believe the deeper meaning for Paul when he said that he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ was this. He wants us to live a life sold out for God. As a prisoner of Jesus Christ, Paul was saying that God is in control of his life. 
what he went, his relationships, what he did with his life, all were influenced and ultimately surrendered to Jesus. Paul was completely sold out for God. He was full of God and empty of himself. Paul's will was given to God. His everything and everything in him was in submission and in surrender to Jesus Christ. His dreams were in submission to Jesus Christ. His past, his present, and his future all laid at the feet of Jesus Christ. Everything he was, his rights, his worth, were all surrendered. And even though Paul was completely surrendered to God, he was more free than he had ever been in his entire life. The chains of Jesus are more free, are freer than any freedom this world can offer. And since Paul was completely sold out, his life was put on display for everyone to see. Prisons, people in other places all had a laser-sharp focus on what is Jesus doing? What's going on in his life? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you questioned your surrender? It's far easier to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins than it is to actually give up your job or a relationship or your pride or your addiction for Jesus. It's way easier. Let's be honest. It's way easier to know Jesus as your Savior. But are you willing to know him as your Lord? Well, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, your life is on display for everyone to see whether you like it or not. The more willing you are to surrender your life to Jesus, then not only will you have greater peace, but you will also get a greater witness to the uh, to the majesty and the amazing love of Jesus Christ. So my next question when it comes to surrender, or the lack thereof, is what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Every believer in Jesus Christ who has an unsurrendered portion of their life Identify that fear, whatever it may be. If you have an unsurrendered portion of your life, there's a fear attached to that. There's a loss of control associated with that. Identify it. Bring it to Jesus and allow him to help you overcome it. A surrendered life is a beautiful display of the power of God. The next way Paul showed us how to live a life on display was this. Um, it's found in Ephesians verses 2, 7, and 8. Ephesians verses 2, 7, and 8. Verse 2 says, If indeed you've heard of the, dis- dis- heard the dispensations of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, of which I became a minister, verse 7, of which I, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given to me by the effective working of his power. Verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul lived a life overflowing with the grace of God. So in order to live a life on display, we should live a life that's overflowing 
God. In each one of these verses, the grace of God was given to Paul as a gift. It was given as a gift. Grace is a gift of God that is freely given to anyone who hears it. Everyone who hears about the grace of God is yours. You want to claim it, name it, take it, it's yours. And it's truly the gift that keeps on giving. But grace, unlike any other gift that you will receive in your life, it's a gift that when properly used will affect every area of your life. Check this out. What if I gave you $10 million right now? I mean, everybody was shouting right there. <laughs> $10 million. It would be an amazing gift. You would be empowered to get out of debt. Uh, you would have financial stability for the rest of your life. And you would, that tithe is going to bless somebody's church. I know we'd be just shouting if we got that tithe. So somebody's going to be happy. $10 million. But would that money have the ability to restore your broken relationship? Because mm. that money tell you what your purpose in life is. Couldn't do it. Sure. Y'all promise. I believe it. Can it tell you what your purpose in life is? Can it raise your children for you in a godly way? Nope, 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 nope. It shows that even the best human gift that we can think of, it still won't satisfy every need of your life. But that's how you know that the grace, that grace is a gift from God. Because only he could give us a gift that will positively, positively affect every single area of our life Paul recognized this and refused to allow any part of his life to be unaffected by the grace of God. God's grace was a part of every part of Paul's life. And this is why he could say he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. His right to life was seized by the grace of God. He said, for I have been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. See, Jesus Christ was the physical manifestation of the grace of God. So what he's saying, I have been crucified by, with Christ. That's the grace of God living within me. No longer it's not me, but it's the grace of God living in me, through me, for God. Paul lived a life on display by letting the grace of God be on display in his life. God has permission to affect every area of your life. If the grace of God is a light, then let's make sure it's shining in every part. 
part of our home so that no part of our heavenly display will be stained with darkness. Amen? In the last way, we see that Paul lived a life on display was found in Ephesians 3, verses 13. And it just reads, Therefore I ask that you, not do, you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. Simply put, Paul looked at his trials and tribulations in a very unique way. So while living a life on display, we must look at our trials differently. It's mind-blowing to me how unselfish Paul was during this time. He said that his trials are for your glory. Most people, when we, when we go through stuff, it's just like, uh, why Jesus? Why me? Why right now? Why, why, why? This sucks. This is lame. I want to burn something because I'm so angry. Like, that's typically the mindset. I'm just frustrated. I'm irritated. But Paul, it's amazing. He basically just said, what's hurting me is helping you. And he seemed to be okay with that. Like, it's all good. I ain't lose nothing. Paul was on house arrest and in prison in Rome for honestly no good reason. Yet in spite of this reality, he, in spite of this reality, Paul thought that what he was going through was, wasn't that bad. It was for somebody else's benefit. He took his mind off of himself and placed it on everyone else. Even while he's going through whatever it may be, death, cancer. I hear that when you're in a Roman jail. I haven't. I've only researched it, and you know you can't trust everything on the internet. But I hear that when you're in a Roman jail, there's no light. Can you imagine just being consumed with darkness every day? Like no sunshine. But that's what he was going through, and he was thinking about other people. It's amazing to me. And this is another reason why God's wisdom is foolishness to man. Because it doesn't make sense for when you're going through junk to say, God is with me. If God be for me, who can be against me? It doesn't make any sense in the mind of somebody to be like, well, if you're suffering, you should be acting like this, this, and this. But instead, you're acting like you have a smile on your face. You've got joy in your heart and contentment in your soul. When you're going through something, you're thinking about how can I bless somebody else? And the reason why when you're poured out and when there's nothing left of you, all you can think about is somebody else. All you can think about and all you can know is what does Jesus have for me today? His life is on display, y'all. And living this life for the whole universe to see, Paul looked at trials differently. He knew that whatever negative his life came into his life, God was the opposite of that. Paul was in prison, but yet was freer than any prison guard that watched over him. Because of this knowledge, Paul doesn't have to be consumed with his own trials. And instead, he can focus on how he can be a blessing through his trials. Amen? Our lives are on display for everyone to see. So how is your attitude when things don't go your way? Are you constantly stressed, nervous, anxious, or depressed? Do people want to be around you when you're having a bad day? I mean, do people really want to be around you? Does everyone know when you're having a bad day? I know I'm about to get stoned for this one, and I'm already I'm, I'm, I'm on a high right here, so I don't get taken out as fast. 
ladies, are you still using your cycle as an excuse to be a mean person? Are you still using it as an excuse? I challenge us when we're going through all times and every season to think like David did during our trial. David wrote in Psalms 23, 4 through 6, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When they ain't got no money, when, ain't got no, when nothing's going my way, when my family's about to get a divorce, when things don't make sense, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. When depression comes my way, when suicide is knocking at my door, when things don't act right, when I ain't got no money, when I ain't got no time, when I seem like I don't have a choice, he prepares the table for us in the presence of our enemies. Our cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall hunt us down like a lion hunting a gazelle, and it will overtake us. That's the mind of Christ Jesus. That's the mind of a life overflowing with Christ. That's the mind of a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's the mind of someone who looks at trial differently. That's the mind of someone who's living their life on Christ. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, when we go through something and when we don't go through something, we represent the body. We represent Jesus when we go through trials. Let us strive to look at trials differently as we walk through this Christian life. Let's constantly try to bless others, even in our darkest hours. See, the purpose of God unifying everyone in Christ was for God to put his manifold wisdom on display for both the seen and the unseen world. Again, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. But why does that matter to you? Somebody in this room, I know it's thinking, oh my God, what is he talking about? Or you're thinking, Maybe you're like some people are when they were in elementary and middle school and you're asking the question, when am I ever going to use this in real life? <laughs> like, how is this, how, how is this sentence to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places? How does that apply to me whatsoever? Why does it matter that Jesus wanted to unify everyone through his death on the cross so that spiritual forces can get a glimpse of the wisdom of God? The reason is very simple. It's because our fight isn't against demons. It's not against people. It is against the unseen spiritual forces of evil. Remember how I said 
So God did this. Now I'll read it one more time so we get it. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to principalities and power. Not the people, not the animals, not the situation, not the circumstances, but to the principalities and the powers in high places. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Why do you think Paul, later on in that chapter, goes on into great detail about the whole armor of God? It's because he recognized that our, where, where our fight truly took place. It wasn't right here, right here, but it's in the head and it's in the skies above us. Now, I'm not really sure why God put us on display for the angels to see. But I know that God put us on display for demonic forces to see uh, so that he could display, uh, so that our display could be both a weapon and a judgment against us. Again, God put us on display for demonic forces to see so that our display, our tapestry, our witness, our testimony, who we are right now, a unified body of believers, might be a weapon and a judgment against these demonic forces and demonic powers. And unfortunately, we as people are far too eager to fight our battle with what makes the most sense to us. Somebody offends me, I offend them. If I've got pain in my life, I got weed, I got alcohol, I got drugs, I got cigarettes, I got women, I got men, I got Facebook. Something to anesthetize the pain. I remember when I was younger, I heard, oh gosh, I forgot this guy's name. Um, uh, the rapper, Atlanta. Let me think of it all. Uh, uh, well, I can't remember his name. He's like, his business was just, basically, he, he made songs, and all his songs were to do, I just want you to go to the club, get distractions, and then that's all you really need. This is a distraction from life, because life is hard. And I just remember being young, thinking like, but when you leave the club, your problem's still going to be there. It's still going to be there. And so I, it's what, that's what we do as people. That's the only way we know how to fight. When, when life is hard, when things aren't going my way, when I'm failing in school, when my relationships are falling apart, I tried Jesus and he didn't work, so let me try to bother. I tried Jesus and he worked, and let me just try the cigarette, because that's the only way to take the edge off of this life. That's how we think. That's how we operate, and that's what goes through our mind. Even if you receive a terrible report from the doctor, some people will rather take matters into their own hands instead of allowing God to be God and let him work out his will and let him work out his overcoming power through their life. Do you know that God sees every tear you've ever cried? Do you know that every tear you've ever shed, he's paid attention to? There's not a moment in your life that he has not noticed and he has not cared for. He knows that life isn't easy and it can be a struggle. But that's why he sent his son and he sent his word to teach us how to live a victorious life. Our display is a weapon against the enemy. Your testimony allows you and your brothers and sisters who are connected to you to be overcomers. Your endurance gives someone else endurance. Your strength gives someone else strength. Your hope will provide hope to the hopeless. We can be overcomers together. Our display.
slave is a witness, not only to me, but I know it for a fact. But the truth is, I'll never really be victorious if I think another man can make it. I said, you'll never really be victorious if you think somebody else is your problem. When you begin to realize that the devil is literally out to steal, to kill, and to destroy both you and your community, you look at life completely and totally differently. When you begin to look at life through spiritual eyes, not only will God reveal the why you do what you do, but he will also give you the tools and the power to overcome that why. Have you ever wondered or asked yourself, why do I do this? Why do I struggle with that? Why am I falling in this area? I, I, I struggle with this over and over, year after year. I thought I was clean, but now I'm back down in the dirt. I thought I was doing right, but I seem like wrong is just around the corner. But when we start to realize that our battle is far more here than it is anywhere else, the battle takes on a different front. I'm going to list off a few issues that people have. And a lot of us, some people do, and some people don't question these issues. Why do I do this? Why do I act that way? Why, why, why? And I've got to tell you something. God isn't afraid of your why. He's just not. There's no question that you could ask that God would hear it and run from it. Be like, whoa, that's too deep for me. Like, I can't, I can't take that. That's, that's, that has never happened in the history of God. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. You can ask God a question. You can ask him whatever question you have in your heart. Many of us struggle with things, but we never really ask why. Or we don't know that we don't have to struggle with it. We don't know that, oh, this is this isn't normal. I can be free from this. And if, and even when we do question it sometimes, we question our issue. Very few people actually stick around long enough to hear the answer. And for the people who actually do hear the answer, they don't want to walk in obedience to it. They don't walk in obedience to the um, answer that they receive. So here are some of the, the issues that people struggle with. And we just don't allow God to have a say-so in these areas. These unresolved issues limit our display, and it limits the effectiveness of the display. So if you think of the display, think of it as a light for the entire universe to see. And every issue that we have, every weight that so easily entangles us, what does it do? It just dims that light, and dims that light, and dims that light, and dims it. But everything that God breaks off of you, every soul that comes into the kingdom, every person that knows that they are a new creature in, creature in Christ Jesus, it just brightens it and brightens it and brightens it and brightens it. But unfortunately, we still got issues. And a lot of times we don't want to ask why. But if we ask why, then maybe we can shine just a little bit brighter and we can be a little bit bolder and we can be a little bit more unified. Have you ever asked God, God, why do I have such issues?
continue to pick up the bottle day after day after day? Why do my relationships seem to always end up in failure? God, why do I struggle so much with giving my life completely over to you? God, why does my sex drive always seem to get me in trouble? God, why don't I have any close friends? Have you ever asked yourself, God, why do I lie so much? God, why do I lie to myself about how much I lie? And that concludes today's message. Thanks again for joining us on our Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We pray that you have been encouraged and empowered by today's message. If you would like to learn more about Restoration Church, please visit our website by going to r4sq.org. We pray you have a great week. God bless.